0: Hey, it's Tom Ailey, and welcome to the November episode of Write You a Song. And just a reminder that if you enjoy this podcast, take a second, give it a review, share it if you can. Believe it or not, that is our entire marketing strategy. So uh, thank you in advance. Also, big thank you to Songwriter City for helping line up this month's songwriting guest. And Songwriter City can do the same for you at your fundraiser or corporate event. Multiple songwriters in the round performing the hits you know and love. It's an experience for country music lovers like no other. SongwriterCity.com Now, on to this month's guest. He is a legitimate country songwriting legend. His songs have won awards from the Grammys, the CMAs, the ACMs. He's one of the few writers to have three songs go number one in a single year. He's had over a 1,000 songs recorded. Little kids could use this guy's catalog to reach Mom's cookie jar. And since 2007, he's been a member of the Nashville Songwriters Hall of Fame. Oh, little rock Think I'm gonna have to slip you off. She's got it Gone, 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 Cowboys yeah, like us sure do have fun. Take me as I am. And he's still going strong. He's got two songs, most recently on Midland's new album. Bob DePiro, thank you very much for joining us on, uh, on Write You a Song. And you got your start as... Um, you were a blue-collar kind of rock and roll kid, weren't you?
1: That's exactly right. I I grew up in uh, northeastern Ohio, a town called Youngstown, Ohio, which, when I was growing up, was all about rock and roll. You know, uh, I would go see club. I would go to clubs and see people like Bob Seger and the Raspberries, and the James Gang, and. Those were the bands that were kind of playing around my area, and th- that just, uh, you know, informed me of okay, there's good, and then there's really badass. <laughs> 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 and and these guys were badass at the time, you know, and, and I, I I got that, and that kind of influenced me big time. I mean, and that's what I grew up listening to: is rock and roll.
0: I assume when you were going to these shows and listening to that music you were a musician yourself at that time?
1: Oh yeah. I was a I was a guitar player. I had my own rock and roll band and we were kind of uh local heroes, you know, but nothing at that level, you know. I had always played in bands ever since you know, I'm of the vintage as I was one of the peop one of the many people who saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan and that was my that was my spiritual conversion. <laughs> After that, that's all I wanted to do. I wanted to, I wanted to be in a band. I wanted to play guitar in a band. I wanted to, to do what I saw on TV. And and so that's what launched me into this business, was, was seeing that and then just being overwhelmed by how great it, it, it appeared to me to be. And, and so, yeah, I was always playing in a band from high school on.
0: So how much country music was there in young rock and roll Bob topiro's life?
1: Zero. There was absolutely zero. I mean, if it wasn't on the local rock and roll station, I didn't hear it. And so most of the country I heard was like very uh, sparse, like maybe a uh, Johnny Cash song would show up on the radio or or a Loretta Lynn song would show up on the radio but there was if there was a country if there was a country radio station in my area I never found it and I didn't hear it so it was next to nothing you know I mean I I just I just didn't hear it and no one around me listened to it and None of my friends or family listened to it. It was just like virtually zero.
0: So then how did bar band Bob become one of country music's most prolific and successful songwriters over the last three-plus decades? When did you make that transition, and how did it happen?
1: Well, it, you know, when... Like the statement says, when you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans, you know. <laughs> i uh, It's one of those things that I almost was led to do, you know, led to. Uh, I was playing in bands and, uh, you know, I had started writing songs because it just grew out of the fact of, well, let's see, the Beatles, what do they do? Well, they sing and they, they got their guitars and they got all this stuff. And, oh, look, they also write their songs. Well, I guess that's what you do if you're in a band. So I just, because they were doing it, I started writing songs, and it just was part of that. It was just part of that whole uh, thing that was happening. At
0: at that time, I assume you're writing them for your band and for, you know, anything.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I was writing what I thought were rock songs and, uh, and I had a couple friends who lived up in, in Youngstown who, who were one of the only two people I happen to know. I met them just because I was living close to them in an apartment. And they were, they were trying to write country songs, and they were really going after it. So I was, would hang out with them and just start listening to kind of things what they were writing. And they made a trip down to Nashville, and they eventually moved there. And so I was still just, it's all about the rock and roll, and I had gone to a university. I was studying music, theory and harmony. and uh, So I went down to visit them just to see what they were doing, and they had moved to Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, I really just fell in love with the town. I mean, at the time, Nashville was... uh, was much smaller than it is now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has exploded exponentially over the last 10, 15 years, it just exploded. But then it was small, and, and I called Nashville a Little Big Town. And I eventually named a publishing company. I started Little Big Town. And then I sold that company to Sony ATV, and there was this new group coming out, and they said, We don't have a name, and no we, don't, we like. We like the name Little Big Town. <laughs> do, you, do you mind if we use it? I said, "No, go ahead, I don't care." And, I
0: have never heard that story. Oh my god. Uh, really? Yeah,
1: if, uh, yeah, ask ask one of the guys in the band, ask Karen or or Jimmy or any of those guys in Little Big Town. That's exactly what happened. I had we had sold the company Little Big Town Music. To Sony ATV, and, and they had just started getting together, and they said, oh, it's, man, we really like this name, Little Big Town. And I said, well, sure, you can use it. Go right ahead. <laughs> and uh, there you have it. Now, I've done that's my little...
0: my research. I don't recall seeing that you've written anything for Little Big Town. Have you? No, that's the bummer.
1: They've never <laughs> recorded a song of mine. I've never even gotten a T-shirt from them or a koozie <laughs> or anything. No, we're we're very good friends. We it's they're wonderful people and it is what it is. You know, it's good. I'm glad to be a part of the history of it.
0: You had a a great quote about Nashville. You said you fell in love with the town so much that you'd have moved there even if you were gonna be a plumber, just because you just liked it.
1: It's very true because when I'm when I first saw Nashville, it it, it just it really was kind of a a love at first sight thing. I just immediately felt comfortable there. I mean, it's the South, it's not Ohio, but I just felt like I belonged in that town. And, uh, and I can't explain it any other way. I mean, I had minus 10 going on, uh, music wise down there, but just visiting, I really, I really was drawn to it.
0: So the first song that you ever had cut was by Reba McIntyre. How did you, I mean, how did that transition take place? You go down there, you're still a rock and roll guy, but then you realize, hey, maybe there's a career that could be made writing country songs, or was it like a one-off? where you just kind of dabbling?
1: Well, it, the, the somewhat short version is, is that uh, I had gone to New York before then, just kind of looking around and I could not imagine myself living in New York city, especially then it was just like big beyond my brain to handle. And I always said, uh, I moved to Nashville because I knew my car wouldn't make it to LA, (laughs) 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 which is kind of true, you know, but, but honestly, when I went to Nashville, I just, I loved the town, and at the time, I had been write, trying to write songs. I was writing songs, and uh, I had to get them recorded, and that was way before computers and, and MacBooks and, and all that stuff. So I would write. There was one studio in Youngstown, Ohio. It was a polka studio. They were they recorded polka music wow. there, and I. I went there and I, I made a deal with a guy who owned the studio. I, I, he needed commercials, like he needed someone to write commercials for the local bread company and the local furniture company and that kind of stuff. And so I made a deal with him that I would write these commercials for him, and he in turn would allow me to use the studio when it was not being used, which was usually between ten and six in the morning, or nine in the morning. Mm-hmm. So I started recording the songs I had been writing and I went back down to Nashville again with these songs and I literally just started knocking on doors. I mean, literally just walked up and down the street, knocking on doors. You can't do that anymore now. And most of the people that I I played these songs for didn't say, we need you now. You're going to be signed right this minute. They said, well, we can't use these songs right now, but you're welcome to come back. And that was kind of my opening. And so I I finally made the leap and just said, Well, I'm I'm moving. I'm the big fish in a small pond in Youngstown, Ohio. And this is probably how I will remain. So I, I wanted to I wanted this. I wanted to become a uh, part of the music universe real music universe so i just moved to nashville just moved to nashville and like everybody else you know starved for a couple years and uh one of these doors i knocked on was a place called combine music which no longer exists uh but it was a publishing company that published people like chris christopherson and the gatlin brothers and uh, it was a small, independent company. And someone in that company listened to my songs and liked it enough that they made me that same offer. Well, we can't sign you, but you're welcome to hang out and drink our coffee. And after about six months of drinking gallons of coffee and <laughs> <laughs> hanging out, they offered me a writer's deal because I would keep showing up. and And, and at that time, I started studying country music. Because I was there, and it was new to me, and I had never heard these songs. And uh, and so I started delving into what it was, and uh, that's what I did. I, I would, like, uh, you know how you dissect a frog in biology? <laughs> I would dissect these songs. I would just listen to them, and I'd... And, Country music is, is, very, is deceptively simple, but what really drives country songs are the lyrics, and, and I've always loved language and lyrics and how people speak to one another. So I really started studying how people would actually speak to one another within a country song and really got into the language of it all. Because I had you know I had been playing music for quite some time by at least ten years by then fifteen years by then and and I had a basic understanding of how chords work and all that stuff and the harmony and all that that thing but uh, I started getting into the language of it and I wanted to communicate that's what i've always wanted to do i've always wanted to communicate with people with my music and so i wanted to speak that language you know like speak it like a native so i really started looking at the at the at the language and the way people were speaking to one another you know and and the way rockers speak to one another is not the same way as country people speak to one another mm-hmm. but the, I think what really happened for me, luckily, is that at that point, my the rock and roll I had that was always in me started making its way into these country songs I had started really getting involved in. So rather than being a lot of boom, Bum, bum, bum. There was a lot of doom, bop, doom, bop, doom, bop, doom, bop, doom. you know. There was a lot more two and four than one and three in the songs I'd written, and that I guess was part of the attraction of people being drawn to my music. Is that it had it was something a little bit different at that point in time.
0: And yet, that's something that you can't uh, consciously strive for. It's just got to be who you are. And then people need to notice it.
1: Yeah, that's that's very true. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't come down to Nashville going, I am going to bring rock and roll into the Nashville music scene. I just, it's just who I was, who who you know, what I what I what inspired me. That's what inspired me. And so, I, I guess inadvertently, I kind of mixed a little a little bit of of that along with a little bit of traditional country and, and I became truly obsessed. (laughs) So this, this publishing company offered me a a writer's deal. They they, they said, we'll pay you $75 a week to write songs, which I thought was just unbelievable. (laughs) Wow. These people are actually going to pay me money to write songs. I'd write songs for free, you know? And, And, And so I just dug in. You know, I just dug in and wrote. I I started getting into co-writing because up to that point, I had mostly written uh, by myself. But Nashville was very much into the co-writing philosophy. You know, one and one equals three.
0: Were you comfortable Uh,
1: with that? Yeah, yeah. It was fun because... I had run into people who were about my age, who were trying to do the same thing. And they were that kind of, those were the people that I had met. And and at the time there's uh, uh, people like John Scott Sherrill and, and uh, Steve Earl had just come to town from Texas. And he was, trying to figure out what he was doing. So I found a lot of kindred spirits uh, who I would write with. And I also started writing with, you know, some of the old guard, uh, uh, some of the, you know, more well-known country writers, and just started writing.
0: One of the things that that, um, in researching for this interview that that I've seen you mention time and again is... um, your sort of gratitude for being accepted as you were when you first got to Nashville, and how that has always kind of been uh, top of mind for you when it comes to working with new writers, um, even up till I imagine the, the the present day. There's that you had it passed on to you. You're going to pass it along to somebody else, and I hear that time and time again when I interview songwriters. Everybody is so conscious of sort of that the, the link. Uh, between past and present and future in country music.
1: Well, I think that's very true. I mean, uh, I, I I've always felt that way because it was passed on to me. You know, as I was learning, there was a there was a guy at Combine Music. He was one of the general managers. His name was Johnny McRae, and he was probably fifteen twenty years older than me, and we were so unalike I mean there are two different people who couldn't exist more that were unalike than me and Johnny McRae but for some reason he saw something in me and he started basically mentoring me. tell and he was like he was from the Na- he, he spent years in the Navy so he was a hard-ass and he would just start telling me now that song is terrible but then he'd explained to me why it was terrible <laughs>
0: here's is, why it's terrible is he the one that it's, that initially said uh about your first huge hit American made for the Oak Ridge boys the the, the chorus is great but the verses suck
1: yeah that's Johnny McRae. okay a, <laughs> man you you have done your homework <laughs> Johnny McRae, I remember bring I had written that chorus and I dragged another writer into the room after I had written the chorus, Pat McManus, and I said hey, what do you think of this? And he goes, oh, that's yeah, let's write that. So we wrote these verses and we brought it down to McCrae and he goes, well this chorus is a hit chorus, but these verses really are terrible. You need to just start over. So we did. And rewrote the cor- rewrote the lyrics and brought it back to him. He goes, okay that, there, that's it, now you got it
0: everything I buy these days has got a foreign name. From the kind of car I
1: drive to my video game. I got a Nikon camera, a Sony color TV. But the one that I love is from the USA. Standing You know, we probably wouldn't have done it if he hadn't kind of uh, told us. And, and like I said, he did not mince words. I remember at one point, once I had been signed there, you had a turn in songs and a song committee within the publishing company would decide whether it was worthwhile to spend money to demo these songs, you know, go into a studio with musicians and record your songs. And I remember one time I had turned in 15 songs and they had turned all 15 of them down. And, you know, at that point, I, I just felt like I could either just say, this is ridiculous. I quit. Or I could just go, oh, yeah, well, watch this. (laughs) So I just went back and wrote another batch of songs, and they liked a couple of those and on and on and on until my writing got better and better and better. So during that period of time, I wrote this song called I Can See Forever in Your Eyes, and I wrote it by myself. Uh, I was making my living teaching guitar lessons to, like, kids after school and, and that kind of thing. And I, and I wrote, I started writing it because one of my students had uh, canceled his lesson. So I started writing this song in my little guitar studio at this music store I was teaching at. And I, re- I wrote it and then we demoed it. And then my publisher called me and said, Hey, you got your first song recorded. And I said, well, great. Who, who's that? And he said, well, it's this new artist. She's from Oklahoma. Her name is Reba, Reba McIntyre. <laughs> and to me, I, I, well, good. I don't know who Reba McIntyre is, but <laughs> somebody wanted to record a song of mine, so that's great. And uh, that was my first song I'd, I'd gotten recorded. Touch me, and I feel your fire. Kiss me, and the flame grows higher. Show me. Hold oh, the love you know Hold me, never let me go I never thought I'd be Wrapped in the world of your sweet, sweet love But here you are with me This is what dreams I made.
0: You went on to uh, write for her as her career just took off, including one of her all-time classics, Little Rock.
1: Yeah, you know, Reba has gone on to become a, a, a just a friend. I mean, because we both started out kind of at the same time, and and she has remained a close person to me. I mean. Uh, She's recorded, I don't know, maybe a half a dozen of my songs, and she's just as real of a person as you could ever imagine, and the Reba I met 30 years ago is the same Reba now, and uh, yeah, we just kind of grew up musically in a way together. so. Yeah, she was, you never forget your first time. Married to the good life, I said I'd be a good wife.
0: <laughs> Before we get to some of the stories behind the songs, because you have so many songs, you've had over a thousand songs cut, um, and, and and so many just iconic country songs. I do want to ask you because, uh, as you said, you and Reba, uh you guys got started um in the late '70s, early '80s. I actually got into country radio while I was in college around 1984, 1985. Uh-huh. I'm not a musician, but I was kind of the same background as you. I was yeah. a fan of rock and roll. I never yeah. ever, country wasn't on my radar, but the only radio station in the town where I went to college was country. I wanted a job, so I went there. And, there you go. And I remember listening to the songs. The first song that really hit me on the head was George Strait's The Chair, where I was like, oh, wait a minute. This oh. this stuff isn't isn't bad at all. Um, but I, because of my perspective, I've got three plus decades, basically, in, in country music. You're seeing, once again, um, sort of a battle going on for country music's soul, contemporary country, traditional country. And I've seen this battle play out like at least three times over the last three-plus decades. And I just want to get your perspective on it. And you've been through it. You have been in the front lines. And I would just add this. You coming from a rock and roll background, that was one of the early... I can remember Hank Jr. being criticized for being too rock and roll in the mid to late 80s. Um, Oh, yeah. So just talk a little bit about that.
1: Uh, you're absolutely right i mean just in when i was in Nashville, there was there was this moment in in country music that they called metropolitan country that they started putting strings and and really making country songs what they thought was more palatable to the audiences and then there was the uh what was that movie that had "Looking for Love" and "Looking for Love"? And, yeah,
0: uh, Ur- Urban Cowboy.
1: Urban Cowboy. There was the Urban Cowboy phase, right? And everything started sounding like Urban Cowboy. But two thousand ten to me was like was the year that "Cruise" came out, mm-hmm. and after FGL's song "Cruise" came out, it was just a Big seismic shift. Baby, a song, you make me want to roll my windows down and cruise. Everybody started uh, wanting to write cruise. And so things got more, uh, songs started having more uh, of a hip-hop groove in it and the way that lyrics are written in rap and hip-hop, that kind of lyrical rhyme, 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 and another rhyme very rhyme-intensive that has always been done in R&B and, and, and hip-hop, started showing up in country music because a lot of those younger writers grew up listening to everything from that point. And so 10 years later we it's still there, but also I think traditional straight up country has always been there. And the writers that I know, the, the great writers, the iconic writers are I guess a lot like me, they're students. They study music, they study and they they listen to what has come before them. And so they're fluent in, you know, well, who was Felice and Boogaloo Bryant? You know, who was uh, Bob McDill? All these songwriters that came before them that wrote such great music. And so that informs their music as well as, you know, what's happening now. And so that country music, what we would call country music, was always there it just took a back seat to this new modern sound and uh, but now it's slowly showing its face again. I mean obviously Chris Stapleton just blew up a whole other scene.
0: Sing my Sarah.
1: He's one of the most complete musician-songwriters I've ever met in my, in my life. I mean, he can speak fluent bluegrass. He can sp- speak fluent country, and he can rock. But he brought back that really traditional song structure, uh, storyline, and, and to the point that now we have artists like Luke Combs that wouldn't have not had a chance had it not been for someone like Chris Stapleton reintroducing a more traditional sound to country music. And personally, I find it really ironic that you don't hear Chris Stapleton much on country radio, but he's selling out huge venues and he's sold 4 million records. Uh, And most artists in the country... Genre today are happy if they sell half a million a million, but Chris really brought back that traditional country and and we're starting to hear more of that coming back Ashley mcbride traditional country uh a lot of i mean uh, uh what do you think of midland I love midland. I was just about to say midland these guys are. Are really they believe what they're doing they're living in 1978 <laughs> and you know i've was, i was fortunate enough to write with them i've got two songs on their new cd on their new project and they really want to keep that country tradition alive you're not going to hear much uh many loops or click tracks or or uh uh fake uh instruments. You're gonna hear real instruments played by real people, real drummers, real songs. You know, so I think they're another one of these acts that is trying to bring back a traditional uh sound, but they also rock. You know, we wrote a song together called Twenty First Century Honky Tonk American Band that is that is like a true uh mixture of country and rock and roll, you know. And, it's, a, uh,
0: it's a 2019 Southern rock jam. It really is.
1: I mean, when we started writing it, we were just, you know, starting. I mean, we didn't have that in our head, but it just kind of grew into that. Personally, that's been a favor of mine recently.
0: Get the boot. David's Denver tonight, it's Memphis, Tennessee. Running off cocaine, couple hours of sleep. Can't remember all the halls, but they live the same to me. Just doubt you will a living with this six string in my hands. 21st century honky talk American life.
1: There seems to be room now for a lot of good music i mean uh, i'm that guy that believes that there's two kind of music good music and bad music and yeah. you, you can find bad country and you can find great country yep it just is a nature of 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 music and it's all your opinion
0: yeah you if, you, know, if you like it it's good and if you don't it's not it's kind of like wine right <laughs> right and some of it is uh,
1: nobody likes. <laughs> they, shouldn't. It's, they shouldn't. I mean, there's bad rock and roll. You know, there's great rock and roll. There's there's bad hip hop, and there's there's really meaningful stuff out there. So I just try and uh, land on the good side as much as possible. I don't know. I've always said there's a when you're a writer, there's a fine line between stupid and half a million dollars. <laughs> and sometimes you're not sure which side you've ended up on you, you know but uh, you just have to put it out there you just have to write what you're feeling and and let the audience decide
0: well you have always i feel like you have always adhered to a certain style you i mean you have your own style obviously and and i'm looking through your list of songs and we've only got a few minutes left and i do want to get to some of these i just want to if you don't mind Name some of your songs um, and then maybe get a quick story behind how it came about. But as I look through this list, um, it's like a who's who of just traditional, straight ahead country. The kind of country the country purists are demanding we go back to. You've been producing it all along, you and other writers like you. And it just, uh, your list of songs is so freaking impressive, starting with american-made but let's kind of go down the list a little bit is that all right
1: sure go for it
0: all right uh the song that i jammed to uh the the night before my wedding back in uh, 1989 church on cumberland road shenandoah
1: wow oh my god well (laughs) to me if you would have heard the demo it was it was a rock song and in my mind we wrote it as a rock and roll song uh and uh You know, Bill Hall, who did the record, uh, synthesized rock with country when he made that record. You know, it was just to me, it was a hillbilly version of of the old show tune get me to the church on time, (laughs) you know, Uh, and that 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 rocked, you know, and we had we really were able to write a lyric that that kind of told a story. Uh, like you were watching it unfold on a on a TV screen or something. And it was just what we love to write.
0: Billy's passed out in the back, but I think he's alive. Bobby's got his head hanging over the side. It's <laughs> such a <laughs> yeah, great line. Well, I, <laughs> yeah, I
1: mean, to me that was, you know, I think everybody who – is kind of that kind of person would understand that that verse. It's not I, that he got beat up. It's just he drank himself into a freaking coma.
0: I know Bobby. <laughs> we <laughs> yeah. all know a Bobby. <laughs> I think I am a Bobby. Bobby. <laughs> Bobby. <laughs> <laughs> Jump ahead to 1993, John Anderson, Money in the Bank.
1: Ah, I love that. I love that song. And I think only John could have delivered it in the way that song got delivered. You know, it was just, it fit his voice. It fit his his vibe. And it was, once again, it was kind of a rocking thing. And... I don't know where the, you're up there, the money in the bay, hey, 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 It just happened. He's like a human like whirlitzer.
0: To... Yeah.
1: <laughs> That's a good way to put it.
0: It's Friday night, baby, get ready, set, go. Gonna take you to the Crystal and a Picture Show. Well, the sky's the limit, there's no price too high.
1: Baby, you're the apple of my eye.
0: Got my paycheck in my pocket and some gas in the tank. love. your love better than money in the bank. Hey, hey, hey,
1: hey, hey. Humor is a very powerful communicator uh, if it's used the right way. It's it's not like well I'm I'm setting this up to make you laugh or the whole thing of you know Bobby's in fact I think he's alive it does it it's just what is happening and it it's humorous because we can all say oh yeah that's that's it you know or in uh, Money in the Bank uh, I'd, I'd rather have a bass boat and a Z twenty eight but I'm buying my girlfriend a diamond ring you know, and, and it's just real, it's real life come to, come to life in a song.
0: Yeah. Uh, One of my wife's all-time favorite songs, and I think just an absolute stellar song from the mid-90s, Kathy Matea, Walking Away a Winner.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, that's a, that's a song I wrote with uh, Tom Shapiro, who's another legendary songwriter. And uh, it was a, title that we were able to write uh i think in the best way that title could have been written uh about somebody that's been in a relationship and uh it was it was not a successful relationship but they're smart enough to realize the best thing i can do is get out of this because it's it's not it's hurting me so i'm walking away a winner it's a very very empowering song yeah, and, uh, you know, it just was a song we wrote that day. Uh, Tom had the uh, title, and, and we figured out how to go about writing it, and uh, it, it turned out right.
0: Anytime love is on the table, stakes behind. And I thought this was love,
1: so I laid it on. God.
0: be kind of a a, 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 an anthem no not really i I didn't maybe talk
1: (laughs) i mean anytime i write i mean i just am trying to do the best work i can do in that moment Mm -hmm. you know and i mean there's been so many times where i've written a song where i go this song is going to change the world and nobody reacts to it people okay what else you got and then there are songs I've written that are just like, okay, well, that's the best I could do today. That turn into hits. And it goes back to when I was in, in, in college, I had a professor who said, when you create, don't judge your art. Let others judge it for you. Just do the work. And that was so freeing to me because it's like, okay. I'm going to do the work, and I'm going to let other people decide whether they like it or not. I know what I personally like. I know what personally inspires me, but that does not necessarily inspire the rest of the world. So I'm going to just do the work, do the best job I can do, and and let the world decide if it's good or not.
0: All right, I'm going to give you a story behind a song now. I don't know if you're familiar with this or not, but we're, we're in Sacramento, okay. California. And the guy that I work with, do the morning show with, we've been on the air for 27 years. And there was a young wow. man in the 90s um, who came up from Sacramento and had a, a nice little too short of a career uh, in country music. But it was successful nonetheless, um, talking about a guy named Kevin Sharp. And, okay, I
1: know it's new Kevin.
0: Yeah, and Kevin, um, he came back from Nashville one time. He was always gracious, and he'd come by and stop by the morning show, and we'd talk to him. And we were playing a, a brand new song by George Strait, and he was in visiting one morning. And he goes, "Wait, turn this up." We turned it up, and he goes, "Oh, oh, I passed on that song." <laughs> and we were like, "Oh, we were wow, like, what?" And he goes, "Yeah, I just didn't feel like it was it was for me." And I passed on it, and we, for the rest of his days, we always made fun of him for passing on what ended Uh, up being one of George Strait's biggest songs, Blue, Clear, Sky.
1: Wow, that's a story I've never heard before. (laughs) But you know what? I think if you would talk to just about any successful artist out there, they could tell you stories, all of them could tell you stories about passing on hit songs, and you know he was probably that's how he felt at the time but i'll kind of add to that that when george recorded that song i'd i'd gotten a i'd gotten a phone call the day that he recorded it from his producer tony brown and they were in the studio recording the song and he was like uh george wants to talk to you and i'm going george who because <laughs> <was> george strait <laughs> So he passed the phone over to me and it was George and, and George did not say where, you know, uh, anything, but where, Hey man, where are you from? I said, what? And he goes, well, I'm from Texas and Texas. We don't say clear blue sky. We say blue, clear sky. Don't uh-huh. you think the song <laughs> ought to be called clear blue sky. And I told him where I heard it. I told him I said, Forrest Gump said it in the movie, Forrest Gump. And uh, it was, that's what made it different. And it was, it was a cool version of, you know, out of the blue. You're, you're never going to fall in love. And I kind of went through this whole thing. And he goes, okay. And I said, so what are you going to do? And he goes, well, I guess we'll be gumsters then. And he <laughs> cut the song, Blue Clear Sky, became a multi-week number one record. He named the album Blue Clear Sky, became the CMA album of the year. And then a year later, I ran into George uh, coming out of the recording studio and he goes, Man, I gotta tell you, I tried to record that song, Clear Blue Sky. I sang it out of the clear blue sky, but it didn't it didn't pop like it. Out of the blue, clear sky.
0: You swear you had enough. You're ready to give up. On that little lie they call love Then out of the blue clear sky Falling right into your hands Like rain on the desert sand It's the last thing you had planned Then out of the blue clear sky Here she comes song and you've been so gracious with your time uh, but sure. for me personally one of the most beautiful songs ever written about just heartache and things kind of coming apart at the seams and that's the song that you wrote with Vince Gill, Worlds Apart
1: Well thank you, I mean that's one of my personal favorites and it was just a real song because when Vince and I wrote that we were both going through uh, very very difficult separation. uh, Leading up to a divorce. And so when we got to that song, we just. I I said, hey, Vince, I got this title called Worlds Apart, you know, and, and, you know, just about people getting uh, disenfranchised with each other, you know, just uh, being apart. And that song came from. From the truest part of me, and I obviously came from Vince as well because we wrote that song very, very quickly, like within about an hour or something. And uh, it's real, it's, it's the most intimate piece of work I've ever done. I thank you for, for, for seeing that. There's
0: nothing quiet. Else. As a sky that turns to rain Or a love that just starts dying And slowly fades away You were my best companion Now we lie silent
1: his incredible uh, vocal on it just just made it so real. You could hear it in his voice.
0: Here's here's a question for you. What is Vince Gill better at, singing or guitar playing?
1: Well, I would say he's better at golf. (laughs) 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 And he'd probably like that. He'd probably take that as a great compliment. Cause he's a golfing fool. He's really good, but I couldn't answer that. I mean, this is another one. He, he's there with Chris Stapleton. He's one of the most complete musicians, singers, songwriters. I mean, there, are maybe a handful of people like that. And he's one of them.
0: Yeah. He's a once in a generation. And once in a generation. Dude. So are you. Thank you so much for, for taking time. This has been a blast to talk with you. And, uh, just continued success. You've got such an amazing career, and I know you've got – how how much longer can you keep doing this?
1: Boy, until they throw me out. Good. <laughs> That's the perfect I answer. Know. I mean, I don't know. Honestly, the, the real answer is, I uh, you know, I don't know. As I've always treated doing what I do as being a student, and I'm always learning or I'm always becoming an as. I guess as long as I'm doing that, I'll keep writing it, and there it is.
0: Awesome. Bob Tapiro, thank you so much for joining us on Write You a Song today. Thank
1: you so much. I really enjoyed doing it. Here she comes a walking talking true love. Saying I've been looking for you love. Surprise.
0: And that will do it for November's episode of Write You a Song. Thank you again to our guest, Bob DePiro. Thank you again to Songwriter City for helping set up this month's interview. And if you would like to set something up with Songwriter City, they can bring multiple songwriters with their guitars and their songs to your event and perform. It's an evening like you haven't experienced before, and your guests will love it. Just look them up at songwritercity.com. They're one of a kind and super easy to work with. And in fact, thanks to Songwriter City for setting up Next month's Write You a Song guest. For the last several years, he has been, without a doubt, the number one hottest writer in Nashville. It seems like he works with everybody, and it seems like everybody has nothing but awesome things to say about the guy. You've probably seen him a little bit on that NBC show, Songland. Yep, I'm proud to say our December podcast is going to feature the one, the only. Somewhere with you like we did on the beach last summer when the rain came down. And we took
1: cover down in your car out by the field. One last kiss and then you're gone goner.
0: You wish and you could stay a little long. What if I told you I don't plan on staying here? My dreams all a million miles away. You can have
1: your space,
0: cowboy. We can leave the night on. Shane McAnally, next month on Write You a Song.
1: Now all the stars are
0: turning. you just kiss the clock to 20.